0: Radio Mano, Papa Chango
1: hey chris this is uh pineapples currently on a through hike of the appalachian trail i'm in uh tennessee at the moment kind of zigzagging through tennessee and north carolina um
0: about 300 some miles left so close um i recently listened to one of your podcasts and i I really appreciate your uh your work you're a great uh great speaker great interviewer have a lot of interesting people on um, huge fan of Shane Heath big fan of mud water love the whole the whole vibe um, hope you're well man okay. alright well that baby came in November 11th so hopefully he is sitting by a warm fire in a house somewhere by now thank you for that uh, Appalachian Trail dispatch uh much appreciated so this is aroma uh i've got a vague sense of what i'm going to talk about but often these things get out of control this is small batch handcrafted free range artisanal limited edition organic and free of artificial sweeteners as always uh I don't know. I mean, you know, when I do these things, most of what I want to do is just uh, express gratitude that anyone is out there listening (laughs) and also uh, amazement at that fact, which I realize probably comes across as some sort of humble brag or just boring because like, dude, like, shut the fuck up. You've already said that a million times. Um, but it's true. So let me just get that out of the way. Cause I feel like it's the kind of thing that needs to be said, um, or I can't go on. I just can't go on. All right. So here are some things that, uh, that have been on my mind recently and I thought could be a, a jumping off point for this Rama. So I got an email the other night from a guy, um, who's gone through some shit. Actually, I've gotten a couple of emails recently from people in similar situations. Both young men uh, in relationship with a woman uh, for a significant amount of time. In both cases, it came to light that the woman had been cheating on him, and uh, he sort of spun out into a, a dark night of the soul what's real nothing's real i trusted her so much i loved her so much she was lying to me um that kind of situation and so the the one of the guys was like you know i think i can help her and uh, so, you know she's moved out and she's drinking a lot um and i was about to go to bed so I don't know. I I don't normally know what to do with these situations because, you know, what the fuck do I know? I don't know the woman. I don't know the guy. I don't know anything. But, you know, he's writing to me and I guess whatever I can say will have some value. So my feeling is like, it's like when you're, there's a difference between looking at a situation um in theory and being immersed in the situation and when you're looking at the situation in theory as i am because i don't know any of these people then you have certain insights and certain things seem really obvious that when you're in the situation and it's specific those things are not obvious so For example, it's very different to talk about and think about having kids or not having kids before you have kids versus after you have kids, right? So it's totally different to be like, yeah, I don't think I want to have kids. It's too much of a commitment and, you know, the financial thing and blah, 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 blah. Now we're talking in theory versus, yeah, I really wish Uh, Timmy didn't exist, (laughs) you know, like, but Timmy does exist. Timmy's a person. And to think about Timmy not existing is kind of impossible or heartbreaking. And so you can't really think about not having kids once you do have kids, because now you're thinking about specific kids you don't have. Whereas in the, Theoretical phase, there's no identity. There's no specificity involved there. So when someone writes to me and he's like, Yeah, my girlfriend cheated on me and I love her and I don't know what to do. Should I leave? Should I stay? I'm looking at it like, I don't know her. I don't know you. I'm looking at it in the abstract. Whereas you're looking at it as her, that specific person. You're thinking about the way her eyes change when she laughs. You're thinking about the things she told you about her childhood. You're thinking about the, the deep scars that she carries from when her mother was mean to her or when her father left. Or You're thinking about very specific things, and that's heartbreaking. But it's not necessarily the best way to think about it because you get so immersed in the specificity that you don't see the larger patterns, right? Which is why you reach out to some stranger podcaster and say, what do you think I should do? Because the podcaster is bringing that dispassionate ruthlessness um, to the situation. And I've been thinking about that in more general terms, Because it happens so much in life that we fail to take advantage of the insights that can be gained only through ruthlessness. Like, for example, years ago... My partner and I decided we were going to get a cat and I I'd had cats in the past. She had never had a cat. And I knew, of course, she's going to fall in love with this cat and I'm going to fall in love with this cat. And it's going to be, uh, you know, we're going to have a cat situation here. It turns out we ended up with three cats. Um, but I had the foresight because of experience to sit down with her before there were any cats before we went out and got a cat. To sit down and say, okay, we need to agree right now, how much money will we spend to, for medical expenses for a cat? In the abstract, we need to talk about this. Because once you have a cat, you'll spend anything. My sister spent like $10,000 or something on her cat, which is fucking ridiculous. Right? I mean, how many street cats could you save with $10,000? But she had a personal relationship with that cat. So she's going to fucking spend anything because she loves that cat. But does the cat love her? Does the cat? I mean, what is the nature of a relationship with a cat? So anyway, with my partner, we sat down and we're like, okay, a thousand euros is the max that we're going to spend on a cat's life for medical care because like i said i mean it's a cat cats enjoy killing things if i were small enough that cat would like bite off my leg and then be amused while i ran in circles in front of it for an hour they're cute as fuck i love cats and i love dogs but do i really do I love that specific dog? Do I love that specific cat? Do I love, really love? I've told this story before. Um, I think I, I actually told it in Civilized to Death as well. The story of when my dad's dog ran away, this golden retriever, at 4th of July, all the fireworks scared scared her and she jumped the fence and took off. This is in Los Angeles. And my dad and my mom and my sister put up flyers all over the neighborhood in a panic looking for Tess. That's the name of the dog was Tess. And uh after a few days the uh a local pound said, Hey, we got I think we got your dog down here and they went down and there was the golden retriever and she was so happy to see them and wagging her tail and la and they're like, Oh, Tess and they took her home and They were in the backyard throwing the ball with Tess and my sister's boyfriend came home and he looked out the window and he said to my mom, whose dog is that? And my mom said, well, that's Tess. And he said, that's not Tess. (laughs) It's like, and the phone rang and some neighbor was calling like, hey, I got your dog. Like, what? Uh Uh-oh. So that wasn't Tess. That was just some random golden retriever down at the pound. But my dad, who loved Tess, who would have... God knows how much money he would have spent, you know, to give Tess a fucking pancreas surgery or something. He was totally fooled. My sister was fooled. They thought that was Tess. Now what that makes me think is like, what does it mean when you say you love your dog? Would you notice the difference if somebody swapped the dog out? (laughs) And if not, like, what does that mean? So, you know, I I know a guy who is going through a hard time right now. He's in a relationship with a woman. She wants to have kids. They're at that age. He's not really sure he wants to have kids, but he loves her. And, uh, you know, it's that. It's that situation. Uh, A lot of us can relate. And... He's heartbroken and it's really painful and, and, man, it's really, it's it's tearing him up. I get it. I've been there. But let me tell you something. This dude is really smart, really talented, really good looking. He's got every advantage. And looking at the situation, situation from outside, I'm like, dude, I don't say this to him, but I'm thinking, Move on. You'll you'll be with someone else within well as soon as you want. I mean, if you spend three months grieving or whatever you do, that's up to you. But if you want to be with another woman, you'll be with another woman within hours, and she'll and she'll be awesome. I mean, you'll be with awesome women. There are so many awesome women looking for a guy just like you. That is the objective, ruthless truth. Can he hear that? No. No. And I wouldn't say it unless he specifically asked me. But that is the truth. And by that, I don't mean to say that everybody is replaceable. I don't mean to say that women are like golden retrievers or men are like huskies that you can just, you know, trade one in for another and you won't notice the difference. But I am saying that. There are a lot of people that you could love in this world, a lot. And the, the assumption of scarcity that forms the foundation of our thinking about relationships and love is inaccurate for most of us. Now if you live out in the middle of nowhere and it would be next to impossible for you to meet somebody new then yeah okay that's a different situation or um you know and there are, people have different levels of attractiveness and, and different levels of pull for the opposite sex I'm I'm not ignoring that but I am saying that this idea that there is one soulmate there is one Person And you just happen to have found him or her. And so if this goes wrong, you need to humiliate yourself and trade your dignity and trade all your money and trade everything in order to make this work. That's nonsense. That's how it looks from inside. That's how it looks. After you've got the cat and the doctor says, well, I think for $27,000, you know, we can add another two years to her life. And you're like, fucking sold. Put it on the Visa card. That's not rational thinking. But that's the way we think. That's the way we're taught to think. Yeah. So anyway, I've been thinking about ruthlessness. And it, it also relates to how we think about the world, how we think about our own lives and sort of how we frame some of the most important things in life. Um, I'm thinking about people who say, well, I'm an optimist. So I think blah, blah, blah. And they say that as if, They're bragging a little bit like, you know, me, I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. And I don't give a shit because what you've just said is what I'm about to say is not rational. I haven't made this decision or I haven't come to this perspective through a rational means. I'm a fucking optimist. So I have to believe X, Y, Z. We'll find our way out. We'll get through this. Who the fuck is we? You know, somebody tweeted something. I got into a thing a couple of weeks ago. I think it was uh, Neil uh, Brennan, the comedian, who I really like. But he tweeted this thing. I saw Rogan tweeted it as well. And it was about, like, how many people died in World War II and World War I and the Spanish flu and and it was like just the shit storm that was the first 40 years or so of the 20th century and and then the conclusion was you know people who live through all that shit were tough and we complain when our fucking internet goes out and you know we can't get our vegan burgers or whatever it was one of those like oh modern people are such pussies kind of things And, you know, the line was, you know, we got through that. We'll get through whatever. And uh, uh, rah, rah. And I'm like, who the fuck is we? Anne Frank didn't get through it. You know, six million people, six million Jewish people in the concentration camps didn't get through it. Two million gay people and lesbians and fucking gypsies. They didn't get through it. You know, I don't know, 100 million Russian soldiers, they didn't get through it. The lot of, so whenever we say we'll get through it, it's like you're ignoring all the people who didn't, so this optimistic like everything you know the truth will out well, what the fuck are you talking about? These people say the truth always comes out that is the most irrational nonsense, and yet it's 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 stated as a fact, well. Let's look at this rationally. How the fuck do you know the truth always comes out? Because when it doesn't come out, you don't know it by definition, right? <laughs> like you don't know what you don't know. So like the people say there are no conspiracies. Like, well, because if, if you know it's a conspiracy, then it's an unsuccessful conspiracy. So there are conspiracies you've never heard of. Those are the ones that worked. Those are the ones where they kept the secret. And the truth doesn't always come out. How do I know that? Because (laughs) it's a logical conundrum. It's like you can't prove a negative. But the truth doesn't always come out. I've told lies and I didn't get caught. So there you go. I have a personal fucking examples of it and it just doesn't make sense to think the truth always comes out there's there's nothing about truth that is like acid that will like eat through any container it's put in that's not how truth is there's a lot of shit that hasn't come out i don't know which shit by definition i can't know which shit hasn't come out right but i know there is shit that hasn't come out um So the truth will out or, you know, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Martin Luther King said, and I think he was quoting someone else, how do you know that it bends toward justice? I I don't, that's a, a view of history that presumes progress, which we see all the time from people who consider themselves to be very rational, but that's not a rational thought. Michael Shermer, skeptic magazine editor. He's written a bunch of books. He's a very famous skeptic. He's been on my podcast a few times. The other day he he wrote something. It was like he said, you know, just look at, you know, child mortality rates and, uh, you know, global wealth uh, per capita. And uh, what the fuck else? I don't know. A couple of other factors. And he's like, progress is real and it's gradual but it's real. And I was like, dude, you picked things that appear to be getting better. You pick three or four examples of things that appear to be getting better. And then you conclude progress is real. Well, what if you pick things that aren't getting better? Like what if you picked, you know, wealth distribution, inequality in in wealth distribution or uh, suicide rates among teenagers or anxiety and depression rates? In the Western world, those aren't getting better. Those are getting worse. So this thing where you choose a few things to measure and then use them, put them together and say, look, my conclusion is things are getting better. No, those things are getting better, maybe. But you chose the things. So if you choose what to measure, then you're choosing your outcome. That's not rationality. That's not clear thinking. That's nonsense. Anyway, it's a bummer though, right? Because nobody wants to hear this perspective because as much as the content of an idea is important, the emotional resonance of an idea, I think, is even more important. And I think that's why people are so wedded to progress the idea of progress and to this ridiculous assumption that, that being optimistic is somehow morally superior and they are unable to see the quite obvious point, which is that if you declare your bias, that's a bias. And uh, like any bias, it, filters your perception so if you say well i can't help but i'm an optimist then whatever you're about to say is undermined because an objective perspective is neither optimistic nor pessimistic by de facto it depends on you know the conclusion depends on the information one time i was a long time ago i was in this class, I think it was my, uh, when I was learning to be an English teacher and, uh, it was like a 10 week thing or six week thing. I don't remember, but, uh, at the end, the students, we all went out for drinks, uh, to sort of celebrate. And I remember one of the other students said to me, she was like, Chris, you know, you're great. Cause you're, you're always like on the uh, on the upbeat and I was like what does that mean she says well you're just so optimistic and positive energy <laughs> i remember thinking like what is she talking about positive energy like i mean i'm not a downer i'm not i i think i don't know and this was 30 years ago or something um but it it depends on the situation i mean i don't know it, i it's a weird thing because it it's like y- There's so much information, you can frame it any way you want, and you can come to whatever conclusion you want, as I was just saying. Life is great. Life sucks. Life is full of pleasure. Life is full of suffering. You know, it's both. It's everything. There will always be tears in your laughter and laughter in your tears. So you can choose what to focus on. You can choose what to accentuate. And that's a that's a decision. That's a strategic decision that you can make. And I personally choose most of the time to focus on the positive. But that doesn't mean I try not to let that leak into decision-making too much. And when shit gets heavy... I try to step back into the ruthlessness because I really think that's, I don't know what Ruth is, but being ruthless in these sorts of decisions, I think serves us well. The problem is who is the guy who can say to a woman he loves, Hey, I love you. And I've really enjoyed this time with you, but I have looked at this ruthlessly and I realize that we are not meant to be together any longer. And this is its course and good luck to you. And I'm out. Who is that guy? That's not me. It's never been me. So I guess most of what I'm talking about is bullshit. <laughs> or maybe what I'm saying is don't blame yourself for not being able to do this stuff, but, think about it in the abstract when you can decide how much money you are going to spend on that cat for medical care before you get the cat and stick to it and agree with your partner. This is as much, this is our limit. We're not going to spend more than this. You got to make a budget. And I feel like we have to do that emotionally too, right? You have to have boundaries. You have to have limits, that are set before you know the person that you're involved with, before you're in the situation. Because once you're in the situation, then it all looks different. Then you know the cat. Oh, but she's my cat. I love her. She's been with me for 10 years. It's just money. Mm. But if you don't know the cat, it's like, okay, I'm not spending more than a thousand bucks on a fucking cat. Stick to it. And don't blame yourself. So in a relationship, it might be there are certain things I cannot, I can't go through. I can't allow that to happen. I can't allow this person, I can't allow anyone to ever say this to me or do this to me. Now, maybe you want to adjust that later and that could be a sign of growth, but you'll know, is that a sign of growth or is that me just wimping out here? All right, that's enough. That's all I really wanted to say. God, I've got so many notes and things to, to talk about on Roma's. I um, I was supposed to record a couple of podcasts this week, and, and both of them, one of them I had to cancel, uh, and I'll tell you why, and the other one he had to cancel because of some meetings or some shit. So hopefully we'll have a, a fresh off the... Fresh Out of the Oven podcast with a guest coming soon. The reason I canceled yesterday was this is pretty amazing. Um so we've been designing this house that we'd like to build, and we've got this sort of funky design with these um it's um octagonal, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. But it's still definitely in the you know design stage, thinking about things. And it's got a peaked roof because the views here are incredible and sort of triangular. We're imagining triangular windows uh, facing in two directions and lots of glass and passive uh, solar heating coming in through all this glass. Anyway, about a week ago, I guess Anya got a text from a guy named Carter on Instagram and He was like, hey, I'm a contractor and I'm working on this house a couple hours from where we are and we're replacing the windows. If you guys want to come check it out, maybe take these windows. And I was like, well, how big are the windows? Maybe I can put them in the van. I'm I'm thinking this is a, you know, two bedroom, you know, maybe five or ten windows or whatever. Anyway, we (laughs) we drove up there yesterday. And this is like a fucking mansion, this huge house. I don't know how many fucking windows, but like, forget about putting them in a van. And they're like 10 feet high by 8 feet wide. They're massive. And they're exactly like the windows that are in this design. It's like the universe was just like, oh, you want triangular windows approximately 8 by 10, blah, blah, blah. Here you go. Exactly. Exactly what we'd envisioned and windows are super expensive and it takes a long time to get them now with all the supply chain issues and all that. So, uh, very cool. The universe is manifesting. And, uh, you know, I feel very grateful because, you know, I'm an optimist. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. So there, all right, I'm going to play you out with a beautiful song, a, a song, uh, I don't know who wrote it. I don't know if David Crosby wrote it, but he just died. And it's a song about dying, I think. And it's a song that the first time I heard it, I remember where I was. It was a rainy day. It was Geneva, New York. I was in college. I was alone in this sort of gloomy, dark day. And I listened to this song and I don't know if I cried or I just felt like I was crying, but it touched me so deeply. There's something so pure and so clear about this song that I can't help thinking that when it was written, the people writing it imagined that someday someone would play it when they died and uh, David Crosby just died, so it seems appropriate. This song is called Carried Away. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll be back with you soon.
1: You came from out of the skies Your skin and your eyes Colors of bronze, the moon in your ear, twinkled and shone, soon you'll be gone. Sailing out on the blue, your old man and you, drifting along. it through, soon you'll be gone, moving Moving through my changes as fast fast as I can, can. trying to balance the man, to me and the man, part of me is screaming to say, I want to be carried